0: Thank you for listening to our Love City Church podcast. Visit us online at www.lovecitychurch.ca. We pray that this message encourages you and strengthens you in your walk with Jesus. Hey, well, good morning. I'm glad you're here this morning, listening online as well. We're going to do a two week series on uh, uh, called Dollars and Cents, a kind of two week series on money. And uh, you know money is, um, we all need it, we all want it. It's one of the most talked about topics on the planet. There are websites and videos and seminars all focusing on money, 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 money. It can cause incredible happiness and fun but sometimes money can cause lots of trouble in our lives. Well, what does God say about money? What does the Bible say? Really today I wanna talk about how a life focused on money will not bring lasting happiness. Only a life focused on God will bring true joy, and this is where your every need will be provided for. Can money satisfy us? Today we're going to talk about the idea that our need for God will help balance our need for money. If our first priority is money, then we'll never be satisfied. But if God is our first priority, money will simply serve our first priority and ultimately bring satisfaction. The Bible talks about uh, money a lot. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions. Jesus talked a lot about money. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. In the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, that's 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. So let's start by talking about what does our culture teach about money? What does our, our world say about money? Well, they teach that money is all there is to live for every social level across the world is centered on money. The drugs are for money, prostitution for money, human trafficking is for money, business is for money, uh, corporations are about money, about the profit, about the bottom line. Our entire world centers around the idea of money. There are get quick rich schemes all over the place where people care more about the dollar than they do about people. Money is the one thing that you and I work for every single day. We all get up early. We all go to work. We all develop a career. Why? Simply to make an income. We make decisions based on how much money we're going to make. We decide where we're going to live based on how much money we make. That's why there are seminars and conferences about how to make money. There's YouTube channels about how to make a quick uh, $50,000 a day by just creating a simple YouTube channel. The reality is, is that everything we do in life is centered around the idea of income and money. It's what drives our entire life. There was a guy who signed a contract, a month contract, to, uh, and was paid $37,000. The guy who, who had him sign the contract, the, the, the owner of the business, said, man, this investor, this guy has a crazy, crazy head for money, which was somewhat of a joke because this fella got a tattoo across his forehead. $37,000 signing a month contract. And after that, the contract was over. He didn't have to be advertised any longer. And now the guy lived with this tattoo on his face for the rest of his life. Another guy uh, on eBay sold his soul for $510 to the highest bidder. Another guy allowed a medical researcher to inject him with salt water so he could see how much pain it would cause. The crazy part is he did it twice. It's what drives our entire life. We'll do anything for money. The second thought that the culture kind of teaches us, our world teaches us, is that the wealthier you are, the happier you are. Money can bring happiness. It can make us super happy. People that are happy because of wealth. Don't you know the feeling when you get something new? Like when you go out and buy something new, I know that Man, I love buying new things. There's this deep happiness. I mean, I I, I bought this new uh, security camera for my house. I got this great deal, only $39. And I got it on Amazon and I got it to my house and I got it all set up. And it was like super exciting. Like I was so so like, oh, this is so much fun spending money on some technology. And then after a few hours, it lost its appeal. And now it's in a box ready to go back to Amazon because I didn't need it. <laughs> But it brought me so much feelings of happiness. How about when you get that big commission check or you sell that house or you land that deal, this sense of amazement comes over you. I mean, lottery winners. I was gonna share a lot about lottery winners, but man, it was so depressing. So many of them won the lottery and then they got divorced and they got addicted to drugs. They lost everything, had to go bankrupt. Greed was involved uh, and it was hard to manage. It's, It's fleeting, it goes away. And the reason that we love money so much, we love the idea of spending money or making money is because uh, research shows that money can cause chemical changes in the brain leading to addiction. For some personality types, money is as addicting as cocaine is. When you pick a career for the sheer financial profit of it, each year's amount becomes the floor that you must succeed from. Psychologists showed that the exhilarating feelings of earning more and more for those who earn high amounts of money have chemical changes happening in their brain that makes them addicted to it why why is our world centered around money well money means power money means security money means assurance money means i am on top of or in control of my life But what does the bible say what does the bible teach about money well some people uh in the church or some believers uh they they interpret the 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 idea of what the bible says that we should be the wealthiest and the happiest people on the planet. Generally, this is based on how much you give. If you give 8%, you're gonna get 8% back. If you get 10%, you're gonna get 10% back, man. The more you give, the happier you are. The more you give, the wealthier you are. The more more you give, you're gonna be blessed with possessions. You're gonna be the wealthiest person on the block. You're gonna buy that that house you wanted, that car you wanted. And so the whole premise of money in their interpretation is, is that money is all about your happiness. Some people, they view the interpret the, the Bible's perspective on money is that the poorer you are, the closer you are to God. That wealth is bad. In order to be like Jesus, we have to live in poverty. Jesus did he didn't have much wealth, he didn't have a bank account you didn't have a stocks plan, you suffered much, therefore you and I should too. And so we should get rid of all materialistic possessions and live humbly and lowly so that we can be like Jesus, so that we can be like God. Now this might be true for some of you. God may call you to live in an impoverished place or the opposite might be true. God might call you to be super wealthy. But the reality is, is that not all of us are called to live in those ways. What does the Bible teach about the balance of money. Do we live for money or do we not live for money? Pursue wealth or live in poverty? What is right? So our key text today is found in Proverbs 30, verses seven to nine. It says, Oh God, I beg two favors from you. Let me have them before I die. First, help me never to tell a lie. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So this fella um, was uh, Agag, and this Agag was uh, in the in the book of Proverbs, was uh, some people believe was a relative of Solomon or a relative of David, and and but he wasn't anything special. There wasn't anything special about this guy. He was a normal fella, a normal person, just like you and me, and that he had come to some conclusions throughout his life, some lessons throughout his life that he wanted to teach the reader. He wanted them to understand, okay, listen, I'm a normal person, a normal guy, there's nothing special about me, but these are some lessons that I've learned in my life, and these are a few prayers that I have. Listen, these are my only two prayers before I die. God, I pray that you would help me never to tell a lie. Another translation says, Lord, keep falsehood from me. Why would he say this? So in the Hebrew, this phrase, never tell a lie, speaks to the the idea of a false, empty, or vain purposes. It refers to false intentions. So although he's talking about words, in reality, he's speaking about false or improper motives or purposes. He's saying, keep me from wrong motive, keep me from improper false intention, keep me from living or projecting a life towards things that are driven by wrong motives. He's talking about motives. All sorts of people had crazy wrong motives for the sake of money. A really famous one is the Scottish soldier and adventurer, Gregor McGregor. And uh, this fella uh, was after fighting for the South American independence, he returned to England and he pretended to be uh, this royal leader of a totally made up island nation off the coast of Honduras. He even created a guidebook detailing the landscapes and abundance of natural resources. He collected money from over 250 would-be colonists. And by the time his investors reached the patch of water where their island should have been, he was already rounding up more money from potential colonists in France. There was no island. He was not the ruler. He had completely bamboozled these people his motivation was wrong it was about money he lied through his words but his motivation his purposes were incorrect the second thought the second prayer that this 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 person prayed was lord okay so don't let me tell a lie don't let my motivation be wrong don't let me don't let me speak with wrong motives and don't give me poverty nor riches give me just enough to satisfy my needs see this is the the place where I can have clear and right motives for my life. I can live honestly in this place. So don't let me have wrong motivation. But So when I'm rich, I tend to have a wrong motivation. When I'm poor, I tend to have a wrong motivation. But God, when you satisfy my needs, when I live in the place where I don't have enough, I don't have a little, I have just enough to satisfy my needs. That is the place where I can live an honest life. I can't, when I'm rich, I can't when I'm poor, but when I'm in the center, this is where I can live with right motives. And he identifies three scenarios when it comes to money. So he says, first, let me tell a lie. Let me have right motivation. And this is kind of the sweet spot for me. Don't let me be rich, don't let me be poor. Just satisfy my needs. And so he gives these three scenarios when it comes to money. The first scenario he gave was to grow rich. I, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? So if, if I grow rich, so he's saying that when I pursue getting rich, when I pursue a, a wealth and an increase of wealth, there is the potential that I might deny God altogether. So over time, if you pursue riches and wealth, we are prone to denying God and feeling as though we don't Need God. This phrase comes from a denial of any connection to God, a denial that you need God in your life. Man, I got to say, Calgary is a city that is just like this. Calgary just wants. More, it's just keeping up with the Kardashians, this outrageous living. And over to live the part, you got to look the part. We, you know, just in front of our our church, there's a Lamborghini dealership and a and an Alfa Romeo dealership and a Tesla dealership and a Porsche dealership and a a Ferrari dealership. I mean, right outside the front of our door. And you know, these are awesome cars. And and if the Lord blesses you with one of those, bless your heart. But the reality is, is that we live in a city that is trying to keep up with the idea that we are rich. The crazy part is, Calgary has per person the highest debt load of any other place in Canada. The average household debt in the city, excluding mortgages, was $28,355. We pile up, Albertans pile up more non-mortgage debt than any other province, any other person across Canada. This is the reality of being rich. Our pursuit of riches it causes a temptation for us to give up on God. Paul wanted to teach Timothy on this in in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. He says, loving money is the first step towards all kinds of trouble. Some people run after it so much that they've given up their faith. Craving more money pushes them away from the faith into error, compounding misery in their lives. Solomon teaches in Ecclesiastes 5.10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. He says it again in Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Restrain yourself. Riches disappear in the blink of an eye. Wealth sprouts wings and flies off into the blue wild yonder. God doesn't want to take your money. He He just doesn't want your money to take you. The second scenario that the author presents is he said in verse 9, if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So if I become too poor, so becoming too rich and now becoming too poor, the, uh, the opposite. The idea here is that you're stealing because you don't think God is can provide. This has to do with your perspective of God. He doesn't love me or he'd give me more, or you begin to have an incorrect perspective of who God is and how he provides. It's the take matters into my own hands kind of thought. Since God can't help me, I am going to help myself. See, our financial situation can often lend towards our view of whether God is with us or not. We look at our lives and we aren't making it like others are, and we can feel like our lives are second rate. We tend to think that God isn't with us when finances get bad, but ultimately, and this is going to be a hard thought, it could stem, our current financial situation that we think God put us in ultimately could stem from our own life bad choices. Your place of life, obviously the place you're in right now, whether it's the car you have or the house you have or the credit card debt you have or whatever it might be, whatever financial situation that you might be in, it was your personal decision that led you there. I remember when we, we purchased um, our first home and when we purchased our first home, uh, we, we paid you know, a good price for it. We were sitting in equity, the market crashed. And when the market crashed, our home went from being super valuable to super non-valuable. And so we were trying to rent it out and we really felt like God was leading us to buy this house. And, you know, we really felt like God did that. And so we, I would, you know, now I was having a hard time renting it out and we were having a hard time paying for the mortgage and things were really stressful. And so what did that mean? That meant I had to get more hours at my job. I had to work harder. I had to miss my, miss out on being with my wife and my family more. I, I had to, I was more stressed. I was more filled with, with unnecessary, um, d- discouragement. All of these things came with this decision to buy this house that I I said, God told me to buy. And so when I would go to church on Sunday, they'd say, okay, if you're here today and you've got financial problems, come to the front and we'll pray for you. And I said, no way am I going to the front and praying for that they'll heal me and help me with my my debt and my finances. No way am I going to pray that. God got me into this situation. God put me here and now I can't even pay for it. I was super frustrated with God, super frustrated with how my life had turned out. And I was trying to blame the fact that I was ultimately poor. I didn't have money to pay my bills. I didn't have money to make it every month. I didn't have money to save. I didn't have money to be generous. I didn't have money to do any of those things. And I always, oh God, it was you who led me there. When in reality, it all stemmed from my personal bad decision. See, these bad choices are the thing that get us into trouble, but then it drives us to need more. Then they begin to wonder, God, where are you? Why won't you provide for me? I've got a mortgage debt and car payments and credit card debt and alimony and no money to eat out. And because I eat out all the time and I got a purchase of a home and the purchase of a car and the use of the credit card, God, God, why did you put me in this situation? He did not put you in that situation, you did. You think God is not good because you made a bad decision. He doesn't erase debt, God doesn't erase debt but thank the lord he can give you wisdom he can give you partnership he can help you get out of the current situation that you're in You just need to reframe your perspective and understand that God gives good gifts. God wants to bless you. God wants to bless your finances. God wants to pour out on your life. He does want to do that, but if you're in a season of great debt or you're in a season where you've gotten yourself into a bit of a pickle, hey, God wants to give you partnership and wisdom and it'll take a season of sacrifice and there'll be things that you can't do that you used to be able to do and there'll be things you can't invest to that you thought you could invest into. You have to reframe how you're doing your finances, get yourself out of the place where you're you're paying for your bad choices and get into the place where God can shower his blessing on you and satisfy all of your needs. And that leads me to the third scenario. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Our ask of God should be, Lord, give me just enough money to satisfy my needs. So the author is talking about money. He's talking about Uh, are are areas that we need satisfaction he he, he's identifying there is a need there is a uh, there is a need that i have that god provides for so this whole thing comes down to one thought down to our need you have to evaluate your need if we can identify what we need, then we can have a clear understanding of what is a healthy balance for each, for each of us individually of how much money we need. How much money I need compared to how much money I want can be different. It all depends on what God has called me to. How much do you need? The interesting part about this phrase This phrase in the Hebrew refers to the idea of, Lord, give me the amount or the lot that you want me to have. Meet my needs where I am at, where you've called me to. So the needs in your life are based on what God has for your life. So what does God want for your life? What is he calling you to? Before you can have all your needs met, you have to first make sure you're focused on the right things, that your motivation is right. So he's saying, Lord, help me focus first on living a life for you, doing what you call me to do, focusing my life on the right things. Then I will know what I need. Paul teaches this, this concept in Romans chapter 12, 2. He says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So don't think like and act like the pattern of this world, pursuing getting rich and uh, blaming God when you're impoverished or poor. But it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Look at that. God's will for you is good. God's will for you is pleasing. And God's will for you is perfect. So you see, there's a transformation of the mind. There's a transformation of your motive. There's a transformation of your intention. There's a transformation of your thinking, of your motivation, of the why behind what you're doing before there is an ability to understand what God wants for you. He has to transform your motives first. Paul references this idea again, this need again, in Philippians 4, 11, and 12, and says, Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live in almost an, on almost nothing. I know how to live on with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Paul's saying that his need is not driven by what he wants in his life or what he owns, or what he worked for, the secret of living in every situation where you have a lot and you're happy, where you have a little, you're happy, where you have a a lot or a little. You're you're satisfied, you're happy, whether your stomach's full or whether your stomach is empty. He's learned the secret of living in every situation. Why, how did he do that? How could he be wealthy and not deny God? How could he be poor and not blame God? Because he understands this middle ground. He understands that in order for Paul to to know how he can be content in every situation is to understand what has God called me to? What's God's purpose for my life? What's, What's the focus of my life? What is my life focused on? When my life is focused on what God wants it to focus on, then he satisfies for all of the needs, whether a lot or a little. Jesus actually helps us understand this. He's teaching about money and he makes three statements. The first two statements are like examples of what he means. And then he just, the third statement, he just comes out and says it like it is. So let's look at these three statements. The first statement is Matthew 6, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The Passion Translation says it like this. For your heart will also pursue what you value as your treasure. So something you put weight into, something that you focus on, something that you put your attention on, something that you put your eyes on. So where your heart is, where your treasure is, that's what you're aiming at. That's what you're focusing on. That's what you're valuing. That's what you put above everything else. That's where your heart will be also. Your heart is the place where your motives live. And so he's saying that wherever you put your focus, listen, your heart, your heart's gonna follow that. Wherever you put your focus of your treasure, wherever you put your money, wherever you put your focus, wherever you put your life, that's where your heart will be focused on. So if your treasure, your focus, is what God wants for your life, then your heart will follow and God will satisfy for all of your needs. The next verse, in verse 22, in Matthew 6, he says, the eye is a lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Interesting how Jesus is talking about money and treasures, and then he switches to this. Feels like he's on a little bit of a rabbit trail. It's like, okay, let me reiterate, re- let me re- reiterate this point this way. The eye is a lamp of the body. The eye is how you focus. The eye is is how you know where to go next. It's your focus, it's your direction, your, your eye is how you get from one place to the other. When, like when you're riding a motorcycle, they teach you that if you, you gotta look where you wanna go. If you're going around a corner, you gotta look in the destination you wanna go. So you gotta look around the corner and your bike, your body will follow where your eyes go. So where your eyes lead you, where your eyes are pointed, where your eyes are focused, your life will follow. And so he says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. That word eyes there is the Greek word uh, haplos, which means single. If your focus or your direction, so your if your, direct, your focus and your direction, your eyes are healthy, are single, are singly focused, then your whole body will be full of light. Philippians 3.13 says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. I forget the past and look forward to what lies ahead. I focus on one thing. When your eyes are focused on the one thing, on this single thing, on this single direction, a healthy life is focused on one thing. Jesus says it another way in this verse, Matthew six thirty three, just a few verses down. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So if your focus, your aim, your eye is focused on God's kingdom, if your focus is Jesus, his purposes, his desires for your life, if your focus is what Jesus wants for your life, then all these less important things will be given to you abundantly don't follow the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind get your focus on what god wants then you'll be able to test and approve then you'll be able to know what your needs are finally the third statement jesus just comes right out and says it (laughs) verse 24 of matthew 6 no one can serve two masters Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. He's a strong word to define the role of God and money in our lives. He uses the word master. This word master is one or the thing that controls a person. He says you cannot serve two two things that control you. You cannot serve uh, two owners. You cannot serve two people who own you, two things that own you. You you cannot serve two masters. Jesus makes a very strong point here. He's saying that if you are not careful, money has the strong power to control you. It becomes a master in your life and begins setting the agenda for all you do. It can control your motives, your agenda, where you choose to live, how you choose to live, who you choose to hang out with. It can control you. And he says, listen, you cannot serve money in God. You've got to choose which motivation and focus you'll put your eyes on. Because if your eyes are singly focused on God, your whole body will be filled with light. He says, you either hate one or love one, despise one, devoted to one. He's using strong language. You must despise one and love the other. You must hate one and love the other. He's saying, listen, you gotta make a decision. You cannot. Make money your priority, your focus in life. It will not satisfy you. But if you make Jesus and his kingdom, make that your single focus, make uh, everything in your life about God's purposes for your life, all of these less important things will follow. God will provide for every single need that you have. When Jesus is our priority, we are saying to him, whatever you want to give me, Will satisfy me. And that's how our original key text ends. He says, give me just enough to satisfy my needs. So when I choose Jesus and I seek his kingdom and I make his kingdom my focus, his purpose is my focus, then I don't want more and I don't want less. I want just what he wants to give me because I know what my needs are because I know what he's called me to. I want to end today on just a, a story that you've all heard many times. I don't give a, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'll just read the last part, but I'll kind of set it up for you. There was this wealthy guy, and uh, he was a moral guy. He was very good. He, he was uh, considered a pretty religious person. He came to Jesus with kind of a deep internal question. He, he just basically was saying, you know, Jesus, something's missing in my life. I've, I've got money I'm, I'm a pretty rich guy I, I'm, I, I mean I, I know you I know you I think I mean I'm a moral person I, I know God I'm a moral individual I, I go to church I, I kind of do all the necessary things I need to do to live a good life I, I don't sleep around I don't steal things from people I, I have good business dealings like like I really am not that bad of a person but there's just something that I'm missing. How, how can I experience fulfillment and joy and peace on this life? How can I experience a life after death? Like, how do I experience it? We've got a young, wealthy, morally good person who is sensing that something is missing in their life. He doesn't know what the secret is, and he's still trying to fill that need. So his pursuit has been money and it did not satisfy. And he says, is there something else that I need to do to feel this satisfaction? And it says in Mark chapter 10, 21, I want you to notice the language based on what we just talked about. Jesus now, after having this conversation, it says, Jesus looked him hard in the what? Hard in the eye. And he loved him. He looked him hard in the eye. He looked right into his focus, right into his direction, right into his eye. He was checking where this man's focus was. What what is this guy focused on? What is this guy's motivation? What, What is driving the internal motivation of his heart? Jesus went directly to what his heart was, directly to what he treasured. And after an evaluation of this man's heart, after an evaluation of this man's eye, his focus, Jesus' heart broke for him. He loved him. He had empathy for him. This should encourage you today to know that even though your motivation might be off today, as you listen to this you think, oh man, that's me. Listen, you have to know something. Jesus loves you. Be encouraged. He, he looks at your wrong motive. He looks at your ambition. He looks at your desire to build your own kingdom. And he looks at you today and says, I love you. I care for you. I know you're struggling with this internal lack of satisfaction and identity and focus in your life. I know you're struggling with this in your life, but I want you to know something. I love you no matter what. And Jesus realized that this man's motivation, his focus was not totally on him. It was only on part of him. And it was also on part of his treasures, part of his possessions, money. I think Jesus loved him because he knew that what he was about to say to this man was going to be a very difficult task. It was going to rock his world. In Mark 10, 21, the second portion of that scripture, it says, he said, yeah, there's one thing left. With our language, you know, the language of he looked him hard in the eye, it says he looked him hard in the eye. And if if your eyes are, are are healthy, remember that word healthy means single focus, means one thing focused. Jesus looked him in the eye, he looked at his motivation, and then he said to him, There's one thing, there's one motivation, there's one direction, there's one single thing that I need you to focus on. There's one single thing left. Go and sell. Whatever you own and give it to the poor, all your wealth, and then it'll be heavenly wealth. And come and follow me. There's one shift, there's one change, there's one realignment, one thing that's standing between you and pure joy, peace, satisfaction, having all your needs met, experiencing the happiness of God. One thing that is standing between you and that, and it's to stop focusing on your wealth, your money and your possessions, and start focusing on me, Jesus. Matthew actually tells the same story, but he says it like this in Matthew 19, 21. Jesus told him, if you want to be perfect, that word perfect is the word haplos, if you want to be single focused, if you want to be healthy, if you want to be single minded, go and sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow. See, money isn't the goal. Jesus is the goal. He won't give you riches. He won't give you poverty. He'll give you exactly what you need. When this man heard what Jesus asked him to do, when this man heard Jesus say, okay, basically he said this, listen, guy, I know you're lacking inner contentment. I know you're lacking inner satisfaction, and I want you to know something today. You cannot serve two masters. You've got to love one and hate the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And in verse 22 of Mark 10, it says, the man's face clouded over. This was the last thing he expected to hear, and he walked off with a heavy heart. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and not about to let go. He was grieved. His face clouded over. What he heard was not what he was expecting. I thought I could just come make a few minor adjustments or say a prayer or say something easy. Seriously, Jesus, you want that? You want all of that? He was taken back by the request of God because his focus was unhealthy. His eye was unhealthy. His focus was not fully focused on Jesus. What would have happened If this man would have given up his focus of money and refocused his life on Christ, who knows how it would have changed his life. Maybe this man's wealth was in in, in in from a one to a hundred. Maybe in from a one to a hundred, this man's wealth was a lot of wealth. It was blessing. It was huge. It was big, but maybe it was only a 10. And if he would have given his entire life to God, God would have now given him the capacity to handle 100 or so much more. Maybe when his focus was on God and not on his money, it would have increased his capacity, increased his understanding, dec- increased his, level of ability to have more than he's ever had before and give away more than he's ever given away before. All because he took his focus off. He stopped treasuring money and started treasuring the purposes of God for his life. God's best, God's satisfaction is far better than anything you and I could accumulate, build, focus on. Today, as you hear this message, I want you to take a moment and just consider what's your focus on. Is your focus, as your driving focus in life making money? Is your driving focus in life uh, getting a, a promotion or uh, or your for or your uh, your IRAs or your retirement or your stocks or your mutual funds or your investments for your future or building a career for your life or building an empire or a business empire under yourself is your focus on your money and your possessions or is your focus fully and 100% on the purposes of God for your life? What has God called you to do with the time that He's given you? You watch. You put your focus on god's kingdom and god's call and god's purposes for your life he will satisfy all of your needs he'll give you beyond what your wildest dreams could imagine he'll give you more than you ever thought why because your motivation isn't those things your motivation is christ when jesus is our focus when jesus is our motivation we are healthy, we're single-focused, we're blessed, we're not rich, we're not poor, but our needs have been satisfied. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I just pray for the people listening today. And I pray that God, if they're in a place where they're just like that man, as the Bible calls him, a rich young ruler, a young man who just feels like, man, I'm missing something in my life. I feel like I'm missing out on something. I feel like my job and money and my possessions and my career and my income just isn't satisfying me as I hoped it would. For those listening today, God, I just pray that you would give them the ability to firstly identify that maybe they've been trying to serve two masters. Maybe their motivation has been on these things. And God, you know what? You love them. You care for them. You're a good father. You want to forgive them and redeem them and restore them and get them going the right direction, God. And I pray today, Father, that as they hear this message and as they hear my, my voice right now praying for them, that they would embrace and accept the plan and the purposes of, that you have for their life, oh God that they would understand that pure and real happiness and satisfaction doesn't come from money. It doesn't come from possessions. It only comes from Jesus Christ having a personal relationship with him. And through that, you'll fulfill your wildest dreams. Well, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that Ephesians 3:20 says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably on all that we can ask or dream or imagine according to the work that's within our lives. Lord, you do have a desire for us to dream and to ask and to have more and to be blessed and to have great careers and great blessings in our life. You want that for us, God, but you want to be our focus. We love you. We thank you. And we just uh, are appreciative, God, of who you are and what you do for our lives. In Jesus' mighty name,